mind Can you tell me about the Constitution? Hey, learn about the USA In 1787, I'm This is what we call special content, people, because we went over. <laughs> oh my god, we are going to discuss um, changes that we'd like to see to the U.S. Constitution, uh, possible amendments, changes to current amendments, or anything else that we want to talk about. Maybe the Constitution is complete bullshit and you just want to see it blown up. I don't think there's anybody in this room that does. Maybe some of you people do. But that's not really our point here. <laughs> All right, we got it. Schoolhouse Rock. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, this is something that we've kind of talked about previously. Um, yeah, just kind of tweaks and changes that we'd like to see to the Constitution um, based on things that are happening currently or just kind of our personal opinions. We happen to have uh, senior legal analyst Tom Cavanaugh with us, so we wanted to get his opinion on this. Uh, we thought that would be really fun. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, how, how do we want to, or did you just want to go around the room and, and kind of go from there? Sure, we should probably have a little context. So a few weeks back, Tom proposed this question. He said, you know, we were talking, he said, if you could change one and only one part of the Constitution, what would you do? And so that led to us thinking over the last couple of weeks about what we would do, how we would tweak things. Tom, you want to talk about the rules of the constitutional? Yeah, there's only one. You can't just cut something out of my beloved constitution. Shit. Let me just say this. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Constitution. That's how this works. And you don't just cut the Book of Amos out of the Old Testament because you don't like it. So you can't uh, just cut. You have to change or add. So I have a 28th Amendment when we get to me. Nice. This is good. Okay. Uh, so, Nick, should we go around the room, or how do you? How is there a? Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's really put ourselves on the yeah. spot. Yeah. Tom, do you want to lead Think off? Quickly. This is your your idea. I like the idea of you, you starting us off. All right. Congress is the least effective institution in America today. Right. We're abolishing Congress. I love Period. it. Period. I'm not even sure second place matters, and it is that for three reasons. They've gerrymandered themselves into permanent seats. Second. We don't have anything to prevent them from having permanent seats, and we've only got two parties. I know Bill thinks they're American institutions that we should protect. I loathe them and hope they mm -hmm. uh, disappear. Oh, my God. You're going to take my thing, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I have the following 28th Amendment. Federal office holders must relinquish any office they currently hold in order to run for another one. Mm -hmm. I like it. Here is term limits without being term limits. So is there an, uh, anything more horrifying in American life than watching senators running for president, forget who it is, McCain to Cory Booker, who won't legislate, don't vote, aren't representing their states to keep or get a better job, and know that if they lose, they've got the one they uh, had before the, uh, the new one they sought. So I would like a 28th Amendment that says if you want to run for an office, you've got to give up the one you got. Put your money where your mouth is. Mm. What's interesting there is you would you would likely get more governors running for office, right? Because mm -hmm. the senators are going to be scared away. Or maybe you get more members of the House who are less worried about that because you've only got a two-year term. A senator's mm -hmm. got to think about six. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get outsiders. Mm -hmm. Maybe you start to have third parties. Mm. I, I like, like the that. idea of the that you you get you you uh, get rid of a an inherent conflict of interest in some ways, right? A senator yes. who's rather than 
you know, representing their, their state or, or whatever. They're, they're trying to do what it takes to get elected. Uh-huh. Um, I like that. But I, so my, my concern with that would be uh, that I, I think that our Congress is already lacking in professionalism. So, <laughs> like I, I, <laughs> so the idea of, of uh, encouraging people to leave on the chance of running for president, I, I get what you're trying to say. Um, and I like the idea. Why should I not uh, be concerned about that? Well, two reasons. The first is encouraging people to leave Congress is good, period. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. But, turn but, this off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need more people in politics, not fewer. And I, I think the problem with incumbency is, frankly, the problem with what's happening today in the Cohen hearings is people see entering the political universe as so horrible a prospect they won't do it. And given all the money in politics and the powers of incumbency, it's even harder to encourage a person to do that. So I think if we said to people, listen, if you want a new job, great, but you can't hold the old one at the same time you look for the new one. I'm remembering, and I feel like it was in the, uh, the McCain-Obama uh, runoff, both of them collectively missed some enormous number of Senate votes. And I, I, I feel cheated. Uh, we're entitled to have our senators voting. There's no reason why in a country with 325 million people, John McCain or Barack Obama, just to pick those two, are so important that they need to be in the Senate, not voting, while they're running for president. That I actually, pick one, yeah, and that's it. Well, especially, you're right, the, the, there's a lot of really qualified people. And, yes. And if you're saying the only way to become president is to be a governor uh-huh. or to be a senator, I think we're limiting that pool. Mm-hmm. And, and whether we're limiting, but we're also driving a certain type of candidate who's going to run for that particular office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. I didn't like it at first, but it's grown on me. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, I like it too. I just I, the the argument um, the, that I come back to as a political scientist is that there's a lot of stuff that shows a lot of evidence that that experience. As much as we hate the 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 guy who's been in office for forty years, uh, there's a lot of evidence that they are more effective. Oh that, boy, do we have to take that up? In the future. Well, I mean, they're they're right? effective within the system that's around now. I mean, the system is clearly dysfunctional. I think there's a possibility for a better functioning system if you don't have that entrenched mm-hmm. old guard there for as long as they have been. No, I will, Congress I, I, is lacking professionalism. It is not lacking professionals. And, and I, that's an important... Yeah. We've got a whole universe of professional politicians. Look what we've gotten from that. Mm-hmm. I'd like mm-hmm. them to be more professional without being professionals, yep. if that makes sense. And we're having this conversation in the era of Trump, and it feels like we never want to go back to have somebody from outside the system return again. But I think about the other, you know, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. over the history of the United States, yep. we've pulled some really thoughtful, brilliant people in yep. who've come from outside the establishment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and been good. And we need well, to... I would argue that they're still within the establishment. They're just not coming out of Congress. Right, they're elites. Mm-hmm. Right, they're elites, yeah, but they're not point. necessarily politicians. That's a good point. Uh, and I, my fear is that Trump will. I mean, I don't want Oprah to run. I don't want The Rock to run. I don't want to pull the, that kind of dynamic in. He's so dreamy. It, the Rock is dreamy, man. That guy can't make a movie that's wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, if you can find a way to create more talent into those positions, I'm, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
This is good. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go next? I'll go next. Okay. Yeah. Just because I my like as much as I've been sort of pushing back, my I, I'm sympathetic to the the thing you're trying to achieve, which is to in some way make Congress more effective. <laughs> Um, and the way that the place I went to when this question came up was was to reform elections and and I would I would go I would my first thought was to get rid of the first past the post election system some other either uh, ranked choice voting proportional representation which would uh, break the two party system possibly would 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 allow a, a more diverse type of candidates but then as I started thinking about it that doesn't require a constitutional change. It's up to the states and up to Congress to yeah. do that. And we could do that without changing the constitution. And so we should, but it does, I don't have to use my constitutional change point to, to, to do that. Barker stole my idea. He stole my idea. <laughs> I shouldn't have let him go second. You go last. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pick up this. No, 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 I'll go to the other my, side of the I table. We'll come back. Token yet. I, that was just my on the side thing. Okay, well, I'm coming back to proportional representation, and I've, okay, I've got so a whole constitutional <laughs> amendment for it. Damn it, Barker. It would require a constitutional change to, to alter the presidential election. And so mm-hmm. I, I thought about that um, going uh, just... To, to get rid of the electoral college, do a strict majoritarian, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but then I had a conversation this afternoon with a colleague, the Americanist that I work with, Bill Bendix, who threw out the idea of um, altering the structure of the, the, the inherent disproportionality of Senate representation. That oh. the idea that states like Wyoming get two senators and California gets two senators and New York gets two senators. The idea of that inherent disproportionality is in, at its core um, undemocratic and not representational. So there was a day, there was a point in the past where it was the whole idea was to represent the interests of the states, right? But then we democratized it and we've moved on past that in a way in which senators aren't representing the interests of the states they're representing the interests of the people who live in the state. And the idea that people in Wyoming have far greater representation in the US government than people in Texas or people in Florida or people in California is, um, here you go, Tom, it's problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Deeply problematic, I think I might even say. but I like Wyoming better than all of those places. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about giving them those votes. My example, the example that I, I, you know, I was talking with a student about this a couple of days ago, and the example that popped up is, you know, I just moved from Texas to New Hampshire three and a half years ago, and nothing changed, right, other than the place, the geogra- the, the longitude, and latitude, longitude and latitude of my house. But I have a greater say in, in the outcome of American politics now just by moving a couple thousand miles to the northeast. That shouldn't be the case. That it is be terrifying. I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Phil no, with a greater role in American politics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I didn't know that Bill Bendix pointed out to me is that that is something that can't, I mean, we're, we're doing the magical, like you could snap your fingers and change it. Yeah. Um, the Constitution apparently doesn't allow that aspect to be amended. I didn't realize that. that there is something in the Constitution that says that that aspect of state representation cannot be uh, amended. That's interesting. So when I think about that, my fear is we've talked about this in terms of the Supreme Court, the legitimacy of the institution. And if people don't think it is something separate from the partisan dynamic, that's a problem. I worry about the Senate long term. And I think there's a similar dynamic with the Electoral College. If the 
if the system doesn't feel fair, if people don't feel like the game is legitimate, they lose faith in that system. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, I think there is a real concern when you've got, you know, California, New York, even Texas, like all of those, the population centers are moving to urban areas and that rural part of America, you know, it's a disproportionate political voice. And is, mm-hmm. is that ultimately fair? Dep- you know, it doesn't matter where you fall in the the political system it's not it's not yeah should we address that mm-hmm. i should have looked up the statistics i mean there have been there people have started pointing to this that something like 20 percent of the american population we're at the point where something like 20 percent of the american population controls 50 percent of the yeah. senate mm-hmm. uh-huh. and those that can not- shift over time and we've seen shifts in political in the united states and it could be democratic republican but that disproportionate voice mm-hmm. um nick what do you think <laughs> Still, still thinking because over there. Bill's, Bill's getting a new one. No, no, I still have mine. I'm sticking with mine because Phil didn't fully develop it. No, he didn't flesh it out. <clears throat> no, I was worried Tom was going to take mine, but realistically, mine is is hard um, uh, term limits for uh, for members of Congress. Realistically, uh, two terms maximum, um, House, Senate, uh, and then I, I mean, I, I, you know, still two terms for the presidency. Um, I, I I agree. I, I think that. <clears throat> the 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 way that congress functions at this point is partly because of the the entrenched political class that we've created over the past half century or even more at this point um having the ability to bring in fresh blood and you can talk about bringing in fresh blood now uh they're not the most um they're a tad bit unsavory they're a little bit more militaristic and i think that's a result of Mm -hmm. the political structure that we put in place and not necessarily because they are younger it's because they have to work within the confines of the system that is around them um i think negating that over a period of time will create people that are professional that want to be civil servants that know that they have a specific time limit and have to get certain aspects of their their jobs and their careers done within a a specific time frame which also gives them a an incentive to um do well at their current position to move on to a uh, yeah not not that they couldn't be a a senator after being a congressman or congresswoman um i i think that's an extraordinarily important thing that um i i i know there have been attempts to pass legislation on this previously and even recently and it just seems to go nowhere um i i think it's 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 very very important as part of that no Go ahead, Phil. Yeah, no questions. <laughs> no, no. I, so I feel that I feel the need as a New Hampshire. I never. I still don't know what I am. New Hampshire and New Hampshireite. New Hampshireite. A granite right? yeah. stater. I'm a granite stater. We have um, a tremendously unprofessional. We have like what's recognized as one of the, if not the least professional, legislature in the world. It's huge, and people don't get paid anything, and so that nobody sticks around. And the end result is that nobody knows what they're doing, and so. Mm-hmm. There's, there is, I, I get the idea of, uh, you know, people who have been there forever is problematic, but not having people there who know who, you know, there, there's something to be gained by understanding the nuances of how legislation passes and sure. all of that. Yeah. Um, so I, that my, my, that's my, as a political science thing that I would throw out there. Here's my question to the two of you. No, I don't, I don't necessarily support term limits in Congress, but I would support term limits on the Supreme Court. Would your logic go towards that as well? Oh, God. Throw it to Tom. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's an interesting one because you see that every once in a while in these conversations. Whether is it, you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg is it is it fair and reasonable to have her clinging? Uh, to her position. No, you can't have a dead person in, in the Supreme She's Court. She's technically still alive, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, Turns I out the court decided this out. week that a dead judge can't vote. Do you know this? This was a great, great <laughs> right, case. So a Ninth Circuit judge named uh, Reinhardt dies. His opinion comes out after he's dead, and the court has taken the position that that is a dead person voting. The, the, here's, here's what you'd lose if, if and I, you, you all know this, but we should say it out loud. Absent life tenure, you lose anti-majoritarian justices. Uh, and, and, and the worry I'd have is that uh, on deeply controversial questions, a justice would do the politically uh, expedient thing, as we're watching Congress and the president do, uh, as opposed to doing the constitutionally correct thing. So just think here about Sandra Day O'Connor, who writes Planned Parenthood versus Casey. She preserves Roe, having been appointed by Ronald Reagan for the express purpose of overturning Roe. But she's in a position where she is insulated from the political pressure that uh, everybody else in America is. And I think because you've got two of the three branches that are deeply political, having one that can operate outside that ambit is a good idea. What, what if they were non-renewable? I'm not, like you couldn't, like you're, you're appointed, you're there for nine years and you're mm -hmm. done. You still have the, I, I wonder if it would tone down some of the, like if when Kavanaugh was nominated, I, first of all, I think you might get different types of nominees because you're not trying to like, I gotta get somebody who's gonna be young and gonna mm -hmm. be there for 50 years or whatever. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it changes the nominees. And it also might tone down some of the heat around it because I don't like Kavanaugh but he's there for nine years and then he'll be replaced with some other justice. Well, so I'll try another approach then. You're exactly right. I suspect that a, a court of people who came and went would be less likely to honor precedent and tradition than one where there's life tenure. And, and my feeling is that we've watched a court that has tried very hard to stay out of the political fray, to honor precedent, uh, uh, to change slowly, all of which I think given what they do, is a good thing. But if you have people that are uh, five-year terms, 10-year terms even, uh, I think they'd see themselves as less deeply invested in the long term. There's only been 200 and, I don't know what it is, three or 204 yeah. Supreme Court justices in our history. Um, and, and I think they've served us well. Uh, and, and to change that feels to me like we're changing the one thing that seems right now to be working reasonably well. Mm -hmm. I want to come back. I've, I've now suggested like five different changes. I'll mm -hmm. shut up. <laughs> no, no. I have a couple more, but go ahead. Well, I want to come back to your, your term limit issue. Yeah, go ahead. And I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument. My thought is, if you're going to do that, do you then extend the lengths of the term? No. So hear me out. So I'm thinking about the House of Representatives. Two years. It's, it's not, there's not time for contemplative action, right? I mean, so Senate is six years, and there's value in that. But there are some who talk about that the House should, if you're going to do term limits, make that longer. Give somebody some time. Why? To think and to... So you're the first couple of years, you're figuring things out, right? I mean, you, you want to give somebody a chance if they're, gonna, if they're only going to be there one time. Mm -hmm. Two years is too short. Uh, and you're constantly campaigning. As soon as you're elected in office, you're already campaigning to get reelected okay. again. Right. I mean, that's Previous the, representatives can serve as, as chiefs of staff as in an advisory yeah. capacity. But How about I, that? I like the idea of having term limits, but I also wonder whether giving somebody to say you've got a certain period of time and then you're gone. Mm -hmm. Think about how you really want to meaningfully impact that. I think the same thing you could think about the presidency. 
is four years the right number? Is five? Is six? Right? I mean, and then maybe no term. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious about. I how feel that like could there's not out. enough contemplated uh, contemplative action currently yeah. because there are no term limits right now. I feel like you would be forced to think creatively and in, not instinctively, but um, if more efficiently than the system allows for now. Not allows for, but because re-election constrains starts now. So early. Even even senators, two years in, it's not even about, it's yeah. not even it, realistically elections at that point become a, uh, a a a secondary concern because realistically, if you do get reelected, you have at most two to three more years in your current position. Mm-hmm. So. I, I feel like you would need to really be very, very focused on what you're going to um, try to tackle in that amount of time because there, I mean, there's no coming back from that at that point. And realistically, if you're an asshole and you know you you a- attempt to create some sort of, uh, um, uh, I, I don't know, a piece of legislation or any sort of detrimental uh, aspect to. Uh, either the Constitution or regulations or anything that that um, relate to um, you know legal standards, it's it, it can't be as influential as it can be now when you have this entrenched political system that is built on keeping all of that in place. I'm struck by the fact there's a really nice contrast between libertarianism and conservatism here. Uh, that is, and I don't want to put a label on Nick as a conservative, but I, what I would say is term limits are anti-libertarian because they're anti-liberty. So I've tried to find a way to achieve some of what uh, uh, Nick wants to, but still preserve the liberty for a voter and the liberty for an elected official to make their own judgments about who runs uh, and who votes. So I'm, I'm really sympathetic to the term limits argument. Philosophically, I struggle with the idea that we're going to tell voters who they can't mm-hmm. vote for. Mm-hmm. I would like to freight elected officials with the obligation to pick one office and commit to it. And that feels to me like a way we might at least advance the idea of limiting the number of years people spend in a particular place. Now, does that mean Nancy Pelosi would uh, ever leave? Or I'm, I'm just picking one yeah, person right. who's been there a long time. Maybe not. But it would certainly mean that you know, when Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or, or pick your person, I'm going to run for president. There's more to it than just I'm going to run for president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. sympathetic to that as well because I think about, you know, com- from a comparative perspective, if you look at a prime minister, there's no term limits on right. how often yeah. somebody could. And, and you get, every once in a while, you get some really good people who could do a job mm-hmm. for longer than two terms. Every and, once in a while. Angela Merkel, she's just been, you know, just kidding, Nick. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I do think she's been pretty good. Oh, my God. But, but uh, and you see that in those those prime ministerial positions where you get good people in, and the and the the electorate elects the parliament, and the parliament continues to reinforce one person because they're doing good work. Yeah, but and we have counter- a... Go ahead, Phil. Well, quickly, the counter to that is that you were right. People who are doing a good job can stay in for a long time. But it also is a system yes. that makes it easy to remove someone who's not doing a good job. That's right. Well, yeah. if you look at at, at at local elections or state elections, yeah. you have people that have been there for 50 years just because people don't give a shit at that point or they don't feel like they're represented and they just vote for someone someone anyways. Yeah. So, I like, I, what is better, having someone who is there who knows how the system works or having someone who is in touch with the current viewpoint of a population and knows they're only going to be there for a certain 
amount of time and has to get something done based on their contemporaries as opposed to mm-hmm. keeping the system as it is. And do we set rules or do we let the people make those choices? No. <laughs> it's going to be, no. <laughs> um, it's a, one it's beer a, review? Oh, Phil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I was I, I was going to drag the conversation out, which I probably shouldn't. Well, I haven't so gone I, yet. It's an interesting yeah, perspective. We've got time. <laughs> it's a perspective that we have with government that we don't necessarily have. Like the idea of a CEO who's doing a damn good job yeah. saying, but your six years are up, you got to go. We're going to take a risk on somebody who we don't know how they're going to do. We hope that they're as good as you. We know you're doing a good job, but you've got to go. That, that's a weird logic. So in this case, if you have somebody in office who's doing a really good job, why force them out just because they've been doing a good job for a long time? Why not keep them there continuing to do a good job? Yeah. Because none of them man. do. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> no. uh, it, it's, a, it's a difficult argument to respond to, uh, but it assumes that there aren't people with new, fresh ideas who right. couldn't do an equally good job. Well, I don't know if it assumes that, but it makes it harder for the person who has new, fresh ideas yeah. to be in uh, in the mix, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd opt for the latter rather than the "you're doing a good job" former. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill, what was yours? So, I, so I, I was thinking, you know, short term, you think about the electoral college is an issue. I think we got to struggle with the Senate. All of those are real issues. But if I'm thinking outside <laughs> the box, then I figured this is this is a chance to think outside the box. A couple things occurred to me this way. One, we oftentimes put too much weight on the structure itself. So we look at the U.S. Constitution and say it's the rules themselves that have saved us. And I, this is going to drive Tom nuts, but I'm not sure it's the rules as it is the informal norms that have made the American democracy Ooh, so no strong. Norms. Yeah, I know. Because no. I, here, I'll give a quick example, then I'll get to my, my, uh, my reason. Multiple countries around the world have used the U.S. Constitution as a model. Latin America, throughout Europe, to say the U.S. Constitution is perfect. And it was a disaster. I think like 30 countries in, in South America have used the U.S. Constitution as the model, and it's been a total disaster. Well, they didn't have their game faces on. Well, but here's the thing. is it, So is it the rules, or is it the way in which it operates? And I often think that it's it's the, the way in which it has operated. It is the way in which the politicians have respected the institution, have, have had forbearance to say, we're not going to exploit these institutions for our own personal advantage is part of the reason the American democracy has been so successful. Nick. We've talked about we talked about this last week. We yeah. talked about it with the national emergency thing. Yes. Realistically, it, it's it's an extraordinarily vague understanding of yes. what that means. And the only reason it hasn't been invoked in the way it has been now is because people haven't done it in the way it has they been now. They haven't exploited it right. until Trump, right? So shouldn't that be an an institutionalized and and codified understanding of what these principles mean there's so many gaps in the system right the u.s constitution doesn't address all of the ways in which an individual politician could exploit that system sure of and course. so my fear now is that we finally have happened upon a politician who's willing to do that and there will be there will be future politicians who probably will follow trump's model yeah and that that worries me right and so that's why i think to, to phil's Broader argument, yeah, right, yeah, and so the norms are what have constrained previous politicians. So, 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 what's your constitutional change? It totally, yeah. totally irrelevant. <laughs> I just want to share that idea. So, so my thought is, it goes back to what Phil said. So, if if I could mandate one thing, and this is a big picture thing, I would mandate proportional rep- a system of proportional representation for all congressional districts. And you're right. So the states now determine whether it's first past the post, so winner take all. 
or a proportional representation system. And for our listeners, a proportional rep, a PR system is that instead of voting for an individual, you vote for a party. No, listen, Tom. So, <laughs> so the idea here is I think democracy works best if it's based on consensus. And so if you have a PR system, you're going to get more parties. So you're not going to have this adversarial system where it's a two-party, one against the other, winner take all. You're going to break off some of those elements. And instead of the individual, right now our elections are so based on the individual and tearing down that other individual, it's about the ideas of the party. So I want to pull away from sort of the negative attack on individuals and the party. Um, I think that could create more parties. I think it could cre- it forces the government to govern on the base of consensus because you can't just have, you know, if you don't have two, you're going to have more than two parties. I, I think this this could address some of the concerns. And if I'm thinking well, big picture, I think that's PR I, system. I, oh, all right. I, I think that's. In theory, that's a really great idea. I personally, this is the world I live in. Right, I personally live in the real world. I'm not sure where where you are, but I, I I think that, yeah, like I said, in theory that that works. But in the system that we've created now, attempting to change that, where while I think the individual themselves we try to break down, there's a an, an extremely ideological dichotomy between the parties right now that goes beyond the party itself and to attempt to break that down would be extraordinarily difficult so i I one time had a conversation with a comparative politics professor who wasn't phil so and i was asking him he was a specialist in in only one time he (laughs) talked about (laughs) systems and i asked him i said you know what's the advantage of a multi-party system he said if you have multiple different parties voter knowledge of those parties goes dramatically up sure right now we say like oh the democrats are socialist and the republicans are fascist and he's like if you actually have fascists you're like no no that's the fascist party Mm. those are the socialists and it it really generates more awareness of the ideas and i think that might help us Mm -hmm. we're not the only four people who are frustrated with the state of the two parties and if if your vote for a third party actually might count like Uh even if even if some centrist party or, you know, whatever, wherever you are, some left, you know, a democratic socialist party, a nationalist party, wherever you line up, libertarian party. Right now, that's, there's no point in voting for them. You have to vote for the Republicans or the Democrats. I mean, you, you can, but they're not going to win, right? Yeah. The Republican or the Democrat's going to win. If With a proportional system, if 5% of the people vote libertarian, then there are 5% of the seats that go to libertarians. And you, you can actually meaningfully cast your vote for a party that reflects you. And if it's in a, in a multi-party system, your 5% as a libertarian might decide a vote. So yep. there might be a party with, you know, 38%. And, I mean, you could you can make a difference. All right. So, so here's the other aspect yeah. of that. And we've seen it in Europe right now. There are extremely, um, I don't want to say abhorrent, but uh, um, uh, what's the word? Yeah. Um, extremist. Extremist yeah. parties that have gained significant influence in several yeah. European countries at this point. Yeah. Are you okay with that happening? Because regardless of what you think of the two-party system, it is relatively stable in terms of political ideology. It's a great point. The big parties, big ten parties, have a moderating effect on those more extreme parties. Um, I'm 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 a big believer in the marketplace of ideas. I'd rather the fascists be out there, the socialists, the communists be out there. Let's let them put those ideas out there. And if people say like, "Yep, I want that party." 
then this sort then of... we can round them up and it makes it that much easier i understand just, i got just, it i'm with you I don't know. It just <laughs> it just feels I'm, like I'm, right now we've got democrats and republicans that are trying to i mean those those forces are within those parties mm -hmm. but we don't know what they're really doing sure yeah guys i'm gonna need 45 minutes to explain single transferable <laughs> multi-member districts now okay <laughs> it addresses all of these problems i'm uh, smelling what bill's cooking and yeah. i kind of like it yeah mm -hmm. that's good I, I, the one reluctance i have is the, the vote for party rather than person mm -hmm. and and the separation of uh political participation by charismatic yep uh thoughtful reflective i don't i know we're not seeing a lot of that right now but uh individuals for whom i could vote as opposed to a vote for a party where it's not entirely clear to me who winds up being uh, in those five percent they make those seats. choices me, yeah. yeah that's a that's let, a really good let me point try to assuage those fears <laughs> 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 well, so real quickly i don't I, real quickly there's an argument to be made that you're you're right you lose control over the individuals uh -huh. but there's real incentive for the parties to put forward good people right sure the, the idea is accountability is actually easier because if you vote for you know the whatever libertarian party and they put a bunch of don't you put in whatever in front of my libertarian <laughs> party I'm trying to pick something other than that you know listeners might appeal to other than uh, uh democratic or republican um there's actually easier accountability if republicans on a proportional you know anyway mm -hmm. it's easier to say the party promised this and they didn't do it as opposed to an individual who's trying to make a name for themselves hmm. as well but here's the other side of it there are systems where you vote for a party, the party puts out a list, they publish a list of who the people are. If the mm. Republicans get 20 seats, these top 20 people will be in on that list. So when you're voting for the party, you know if they've put idiots on the list or not. But there are systems where people get to vote for the party and they also can't, the, the party puts out the list, mm -hmm. but people vote for the names on the list and they reorder the list. So you're, you're choosing, hey, I want Republicans, and on this list of Republicans, I like, you know, hmm. you know Joe and Betty are mm -hmm. my favorites. I'm going to vote for them, and, and hopefully they'll be at the top of the list. So you can, you can do a little bit of both. I'm Sorry. prepared to make that the 29th Amendment. <laughs> I like it. I've already got the 28th Amendment done. The 29th, I like a lot. So just don't let those same people run twice right. or, this, or run for two different things at once. <laughs> Wow. So here, here's the question. I think most everybody could agree that the, the U.S. Constitution needs some. We got, we have to address some concerns. Do sure. we feel like is there going to be any political will? No. Okay. <laughs> because because of the partisanship, because it, the way in which it'll impact one party or the other, does that prevent us from making real decisions? The entry barriers are so high yeah. that uh, I think even politicians say it can't be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, ironically, the 27th was to cap congressional pay raises to themselves or some very minor thing like that mm -hmm. to try and change in a way you've talked about which I, I'm finding very appealing here I'm going to have to reflect yeah. and figure out why I disagree with you <laughs> because I'm sure I do I just haven't thought of it yet yeah. uh, to make a change that's that dramatic yeah. when you need three-fifths of everything vested interests yeah, are, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but here's the beauty <laughs> We don't have to do a constitutional amendment to, to to have Congress. You would have to do it within the states, right? So it would be however many, you know, uh, Texas. How many how many members of the House are there in Illinois? Do you know the number? Three hundred fifty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, if, you know, it depends on the census 30, question that yeah, my beloved Supreme right. Court's going to answer. I should know the answer, but if there's thirty people, you know, if if Texas has you know forty members of of the House. 
um, you could vote. You could choose those forty proportionally. You could, you couldn't do it sort of on a nationwide level. It's a state, and some but, states but the, do within that. Within the right? Constitution, you could change that. But having said that, I still don't think there's the political will. I yeah. think yeah. we as Americans view American institutions and the Constitution as as you said, Tom, as this holy document, right? Yeah. And so it's almost sacrilegious to change it. And, and that that's, I think... Well, it uh, is a holy document. The institutions and norms you people are after, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is good. Um, this is bonus material. Yes, so we right. can be... <laughs> Two things. Uh, Congress members should be chosen by lot. Um, wow. And uh, uh, presidential candidates, uh, one from each party, uh, should be a bare knuckle fight to the death. Um, those are my two my two changes personally. <laughs> I'm thinking historically who would do well. You know, I don't really care who would do well. I just care who's scrappy enough. I put to my get money there. on Eisenhower. That guy. That guy could. Yeah. Old Hickory. Yeah. <laughs> old Hickory. <laughs> uh, that was just how hard his knuckles were. Few people know that. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys, for indulging this. This was this was fun. <laughs> More intricate than I thought. Yeah, be, personally, our twenty minutes turned to forty really quick. It That's really good. turned. Yeah, That's good. wow, it was almost a real episode at this point. Tom, thanks for joining us yet again. As always, the greatest. <laughs> Thank you. And we will see you guys on the next episode. We won't bore you with all the uh, the the plugs and whatnot. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. like this. We the people in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility.